Blighty Thank God is based on the diary our family discovered my late father, Ron Chapman, wrote in 1943 when he was a young RAF pilot serving in the Middle East and Italy. In this grave hour... I'm Neil Chapman and a former journalist. The podcast highlights the stories I uncovered when I researched his diary, along with other historical sources. Given the need for wartime secrecy, it's no surprise some of my father's diary entries give little away. Two episodes of Blighty Thank God, about Flight Sergeant Jimmy Eden's death, and two plane crashes in Sudan both emerge from just a few words he wrote. But one of the most intriguing diary entries was on July the 2nd, 1943. It led me to learn about a sophisticated gold smuggling ring, Leo the pilot scaring lion, as well as the court-martials of some friends of my father. His granddaughter Claire with the entry about a casual conversation over chai or tea that started that research journey. Friday, July 2nd. Up at 5.30am and took duty run to Baghdad. Made a wizard landing. After breakfast, just sat around and drank chai and argued the toss. Hawkins was in, so had a natter with him. He was telling me about the gold racket and how it was found out. There are no further details about how the gold racket, or smuggling ring, was discovered or who was involved but I believe it relates back to my father's time as an RAF ferry pilot flying out of Takoradi on the Gold Coast, now Ghana, delivering fighter planes up to Egypt in support of the North Africa campaign. The supply route across Africa, west to east then north, was known as the Takoradi route. Leading the fighter plane convoys, a number of which my father was a part of during 1942, were twin-engined Blenheim aircraft. It took about a week to fly the 6,500-kilometre Trans-Africa journey in a series of hops between remote airfields until finally the planes arrived in Cairo. Originally, the Gold Coast got its name because of its large gold resources that many European countries coveted for hundreds of years until the British colonised it in the late 19th century. It was also central to the inhuman transatlantic slave trade. During World War II, the Gold Coast was still a British colony, along with neighbouring Nigeria to the east. Sudan and Egypt were also British colonies in all but name. And the Takoradi route stopovers took in airfields in each of those countries. Places such as Lagos, Kano, El Fashir, Wadi Halfa and Khartoum. RAF fitters and engineers based at each stop repaired and serviced the convoy planes before they headed off to their next destination. Around 200 pilots were needed for the frequent convoys that overflew dense jungle across searing desert 
before following the lush Nile Delta. All done by dead reckoning navigation. As well as the UK, pilots were drawn from many countries. Yugoslavia, Poland, Australia and New Zealand. And it's a testament to the RAF's drive, determination and courage that it set up and operated such a long and complex supply chain in such challenging locations. It took tremendous initiative. But it turns out that initiative could also be directed towards some sophisticated criminal smuggling. Today, Lagos is a modern, bustling city with high-rise buildings and millions of people. But in 1943, it was mainly thatched huts, rough roads and market stalls. RAF chiefs noted Lagos was a favoured stopover for some of the regular Blenheim pilots, even though they were relatively early in their long journey up to Cairo. What Lagos did have was a gold bazaar, a forbidden place for RAF crew and any foreigners. Gold bought in Lagos could be sold for a profit further along the Takaradi route. In Khartoum, it could fetch twice its original price. In Cairo, three times as much. Driven up not just by distance, but by greater risks. Unsurprisingly, the opportunities to make such big money proved very tempting. At first, pilots caught wandering in the gold bazaar by patrolling Lagos police could bribe their way out of trouble. But as soon as gold smuggling became more rife, the British authorities drafted in the Lagos police to help stop the illegal trade. The British military authorities were eventually tipped off about a convoy of Blenheim aircraft carrying many thousands of pounds worth of gold. That was a huge sum in those days, given that £1,000 in 1945 is roughly the equivalent to £50,000 today. When the suspect convoy landed at Khartoum, the crews were escorted off the planes, which were put under heavy guard. That prevented them from selling any gold there. The planes then took off next day, heading for Cairo, where they were met by a large posse of military police on landing. Here's Wing Commander Tony Dudgeon's description, in his book Wings Over North Africa, of what happened to the pilots and planes on arrival. They were searched, their baggage was searched, the aeroplanes were searched, nothing. We were looking for over 20 kilograms of gold, so it was not something they could hide up their bums or in their mouths. The crews were led away looking like pictures of injured ignorance. Next, we began to take to pieces every bit of the aeroplanes that could have been dismantled at Lagos without actually cutting metal, which would have shown up at once. Purely by chance, one of the searching engineers found a small scratch where no scratch should have been. The gold was found inside the axles of the undercarriages. These were hollow to save weight, apparently sealed forever during manufacture. The Takaradi mechanics had managed to unseal them to make the ends removable, if you knew the secret. Inside were cylindrical tins containing the gold. It turns out the smuggling operation involved dozens of people across the Takaradi route. After the pilots were arrested, 
what became clear is how sophisticated the gold racket was. It needed prior knowledge of which Blenheims were assigned to a particular delivery location. Then, undercarriage axles had to be secretly unsealed at Takaradi before the planes left. The correct axles had to be filled with the gold after it was bought in Lagos. Mechanics at the destination had to know which axles had the gold inside them. They needed to extract the gold without anyone noticing. The gold was then surreptitiously transferred and sold. And finally, the proceeds had to be shared out across the whole chain of people involved. In my research, I also discovered the following note in the RAF operations book for number one aircraft delivery unit, which my father had been part of the year before, 1942. Flight Sergeant Skiba dispatched to West Africa from Cairo to face civil proceedings involving £3,500 worth of gold illegally brought from Nigeria to Egypt. It doesn't say what part Flight Sergeant Skiba played in the gold racket, but the value of the haul mentioned in the operations book in today's pounds is around 170000 about $230,000. No doubt news of the gold racket and its discovery spread quickly amongst the pilots, and I suspect my father may have recognised some of the names of those involved. A court-martial would await members of the smuggling ring uncovered in Egypt by the British military authorities. The one time my father mentions facing a court-martial himself... It was as an escort supporting two friends, Flight Sergeant Paddy Hammy Hamilton and Flight Sergeant Rushton. Monday, February 22nd. Went over to the mess and had quite a nice dinner thanks to Jack's provisions. Had a beer, then a creme de menthe, had a few vodkas with Hamilton and Beeling. Was escort to Rushton and Hamilton, but wasn't needed. They are being court-martialed. What infraction his friends were charged with, my father doesn't say, or may well have not known all the details. What I could find out was that my father and Hamilton had both been posted to RAF Habania in Iraq at the end of 1942, and it's clear from the diary they were drinking and snooker buddies. And he did know that his friend could be in deep trouble, and was keen to find out what he could. Wednesday, March 3rd. Hamilton's court-martial is in the morning and he asked me to be escort. I said OK. It will A. Let me do some scrounging. B. Satisfy my natural nosiness and get first-hand information on the court-martial. If he is guilty, he is definitely in the ship because there are so many big knobs involved. An example will have to be made. And for some reason, another colleague, Riddle, chose to risk bending the truth to help Hamilton. Thibault saw Riddle today and reckons he is under open arrest for charge of perjury at Hamilton's court-martial. He is to see commanding officer. What I could find out is that Hamilton's punishment was to be demoted to the lowest rank, leading aircraftsman, and to come off flying duties. And he finally got his flight sergeant stripes back at the end of August 1943. Rushton probably enjoyed the same fate. Oh, my God. 
turns out, gold smuggling wasn't the only unusual surprise along the Takoradi route. As I mentioned earlier, one of the stopovers was at El Fashir in the Darfur region of northwestern Sudan. For the RAF fitters working at El Fashir, it must have been very hot and very uncomfortable, with few diversions. So, to make their day a little lighter, they used to surprise pilots visiting El Fashir for the first time. When the pilot made a chocks away signal ahead of takeoff, out would wander Leo the lion. Grip the handling ropes in his mouth, first one wheel, then the other, and amble away, avoiding the plane's spinning propellers. More than one pilot got a serious fright at the sight of the king of the jungle suddenly approaching their plane. Leo had been taught his little party trick as a cub after the fitters adopted him. I couldn't discover the fate of any of the members of the gold smuggling ring. But there was one airman caught smuggling diamonds, another precious commodity available along the Gold Coast and much easier to conceal. Gibraltar was the destination for any smuggled diamonds, but the British authorities knew there was a high chance any diamonds arriving in Gibraltar would be exported to Spain next door where they would be snapped up by the Germans, whose war factories were desperately short of industrial diamonds. Warnings were given that anybody caught diamond smuggling was effectively trading with the enemy and would be charged with treason. The airman, who ignored the warnings, was reportedly court-martialed and shot as a traitor. Find maps, photographs and other material associated with each episode, as well as the complete diary with my research notes, visit the website blightythankgod.co.uk. The diary extracts are read by Ron Chapman's eight grandchildren. He'd be proud of all of them. <laughs>